Uh, We are in the book of John, chapter 21. If you are new to what we are doing, we are going through the book of John uh, thematically, showing how John um, ties together these themes all the way from the beginning to the end. It is like, it is an incredible piece of literature. It's a masterpiece. And so uh, today we are doing our last one in this volume called Conversations with Jesus, and we get to eavesdrop on one of the most profound and I think, honestly, healing conversations that has ever taken place um, on, this, on this globe. So we are in John chapter 21. We are going to be in verses 9 through 19. Let me read um, the word of the Lord, and then um, it's my privilege um, to speak about who this Jesus is. So John 21 verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Isn't that a fisherman right there? Like, remember the exact number? Okay, sorry. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, you used to walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us perfectly flesh and bone in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we are your servants. Heavenly Father, we are your sons and daughters and Holy Spirit. We are your sanctuary here on this earth. Father, by your grace, by your spirit, um, would you move on our hearts today that we would see the loveliness of Christ 
Lord, we have a sense of the beauty of Christ today through your word, by the power of your spirit. Help me to be helpful to my brothers and sisters and help us to delight in who you are. And would you do a deep healing work in us today? Tend to the wounds that we have within, that we might enjoy you and love well. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The smell of charcoal found them. They were up all night fishing and failing, and their nets still empty. Jesus' apprentices were back on the waters of Galilee, plying the skills of their trade. They were fishermen. And this is what they did. It was in their blood. They knew the rhythms of the sea. They knew the ways of the fish. They knew the tools of their trade. And it was Peter's idea. He wanted to be back here on the water. I'm going fishing, he said. And it seems he is a natural leader, and so others follow him. Now, maybe it was because he needed some time in a familiar place to process the whirlwind of events of Jesus' Passion Week, the confrontation, the tension, the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the appearances of Jesus. Maybe he just needed to process in a place that was comforting to him, or maybe he couldn't really explain why in the world he wanted to go back and draw some tilapia from the waves. Like Maybe he just couldn't explain it, but he just knew he needed to do it. Now, Jesus had appeared to him. Jesus had shown himself to his disciples. He was alive, and all that they thought was lost was found. Jesus had conquered death. He had conquered death. He was vindicated as the Messiah. He had work to do. He had a kingdom to spread. He had work for his apprentices. And there was a smell of victory in the post-Easter air. But Peter had a lot to process, right? Peter still had some baggage. Christ was risen, but there was still a restlessness within the heart of this fisherman. He needed to undergo his own resurrection of sorts. So Peter heads back to Galilee to smell the sea, to feel the rock of the boat, to feel a tug on the nets with his callous hands. He had some processing to do. And so they did, Peter and six others, Go out at night, because that's when the fishing is best there on the Sea of Galilee. They go out at night. So that means there's seven apprentices. Now, if you calculate that, six plus one, right? Literature major, pretty good, right? Six plus one, that's seven apprentices floating over the depths of the sea trying to draw out life, but nothing. It's just a bust, a fisherman's great frustration, no doubt. And then... After the long hours of the night, then in the blushing pink glow of morning when the mists are rising on the Sea of Galilee and when the light of day is rising, Jesus shows up on the shore. And he calls to them from 100 yards away or so, and he says, Hey, you all catch anything? Hello? Anything? And the response I'm sure it was uh, a muted kind of grumbling. No, <laughs> right? Nothing. He says, the other side. 
throw the net over there, that side. And they do, right? They do, and suddenly the net jerks, the boat leans, the strong backs and arms of these fishermen are engaged as they're straining and working with this now swollen fishing net. And John, the author of this gospel, always seems to be the first to see really what's going on. He's incredibly astute. And John turns to Peter and he says, Dude, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. See, John, John has seen this before. This has happened before. When Jesus first called Peter, some three years before, they were out fishing all night long. They caught nothing. Jesus shows up, says, throw out the net on that side, and a miraculous haul comes in, and Jesus says, follow me, and Peter says, yeah. So this is all very familiar. It's like divine deja vu. It's happening again. Jesus is calling back to what happened, and he's calling them forward into the future. So again, John, who seems first to see everything, he, he tells Peter, it's, it's the Lord. And, and Peter, who seems to be the first to act, does a cannonball into the Sea of Galilee and is swimming to Jesus. He is get, trying to get to him ASAP. And then here's the cool thing. There Jesus is. He's on the beach. And he has done the most amazing thing. <laughs> this guy who has come back from the dead and, oh, by the way, happens to be the king of the cosmos, he does the most amazing thing. He makes breakfast for his buddies. Isn't that cool? He makes breakfast for them. Bread and fish over the smoking charcoal. charcoal. It's kind of like um, bagels and lox, right? Bagels and smoked salmon. That's what's for breakfast today. And when Peter gets there, and when the rest of the fishermen get there, the resurrected king of all creation, with all the power in his scarred hands, says, hey guys, let's eat breakfast. He invites them to a meal. It's just awesome. I love it. And by the way, this is the third time they had seen him appear after the resurrection. And here's something that we're going to draw out today. Um, Jesus has intentionally orchestrated a scene to do a deep inner healing for Peter. How good is this Jesus? He has intentionally orchestrated a scene to see the deep healing of Peter. So, I imagine they were all joyfully shocked as they sat there and, and ate their, their bagels, you know, and smoked salmon and tilapia, uh, you know. Um, confounded that here's a crucified one who was crowned, who had served them breakfast. And after they eat, a conversation ensues. And we get the joy of eavesdropping in on this. Now, you got to imagine this. They're, they're eating, and then at one point, Jesus looks at Peter and locks eyes with him. And he calls him by his pre-Jesus name. He doesn't call him Peter. What does Peter mean, by the way? Rock, right? That was the nickname Jesus gave him. But he calls him by his pre-Jesus name. In verse 15, he says, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Man, like air sucked out of the beach. <laughs> now, so one can only imagine like the emotions that, that shot through Peter at this point. Like the, the butterflies that, that were a flurry in his stomach and his pulse. I imagine 
began to race. Like, what would Jesus say to him? What would Jesus say to him? Was this the moment of comeuppance, right? Was, was this breakfast the calm before the storm of Jesus' judgment? All the other apprentices are watching. Is this the tribunal, right? Is this, is this a hearing? Is this Peter's worst nightmare? Is he going to be called out and cast out, exiled, excommunicated, and shunned? Because I'm sure he probably feels like he deserves it. I bet his palms were sweating. Or was this the moment that he longed for? Was this the moment where, where he would have some kind of sweet release from, from the pressures that, that had been pushing on him, from his sagging heart and burdened shoulders? And so he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then to that, Jesus responds, then feed my lambs, Peter. And there it was. Jesus is dealing with Peter. He's dealing with what has happened. Did Peter really love Jesus? He had bailed on him, right? Peter had bailed on Jesus. He had betrayed Jesus, and he had done it with gusto, forcefully so. He had bailed on him even after he had said and boasted that he would be the only one who would stay with him when everyone else fell, right? So not only did he betray him and bail on him, he did it right after boasting that he would be the only one that wouldn't bail. In Matthew 26, uh, verse 33, uh, Peter um, says to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, not this guy, I got your back. I'm faithful, all right? He had set himself up above all of his, of his brothers and said, I will not drop the ball, Jesus. I'm with you. And then, like, boom, with a thud, he falls on his face, right? Peter is down. And it appears Jesus is calling this back to Peter's mind here about comparing, about loving him more than everyone else and focusing more on his love for Jesus than Jesus' love that saves him, right? Do you still think you are more faithful than everyone else, Peter? Now, there's some debate here when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Is Jesus talking about everyone in the circle, like John and James? Or is, or is he talking about the fish, you know, fishing tackle and the fish or the comforts of home? I don't know. I, I, from the way it's written, I would imagine that he is referring to the other disciples based upon what, what Peter had said. And, and so Peter responds humbly here. Uh, he says, Jesus, you know, you know I I love you. It doesn't seem that there's any comparing, competing, or one-upping going on anymore. He's looking to what Jesus thinks. And so Jesus says, feed my lambs, right? Feed my lambs. Be the shepherd I've called you to be. Be the shepherd I've trained you to be. If you love me, you will love my people. Don't lift yourself up over them. Kneel down and serve them. And at this point, I just wonder if there was this massive sigh of relief in everybody there. This, Jesus isn't done with Peter yet. There's hope. There's hope, right? But if Peter took a sigh of relief after this Q&A session, I bet his chest soon tightened because Jesus is not done, right? He's not done. He has another question. In fact, he has the same question. Right, verse 16 Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Again, like, can you imagine the, the scenario? Like, the air would have thickened at this point. Like, he just asked him the same question. Is he shaming him? What's happening? See, Jesus is pressing in. There's way more work to be done in the heart of Peter. And there's, there's a pattern here, right? What's the pattern? It's question, it's answer, it's commission. Question, answer, commission, question, answer, commission. Now this time in the question, Jesus removes the comparative bit from the mix. No more including the greater than these portion. But this is just about Jesus and Peter. And Peter again and humbly says, Jesus, you know. You know. Now, um, you've been called out on things before, right? People have had confrontational questions coming at you. You have been in arguments and challenging situations before. You know that swirl of guilt and shame, right? You know the buzz that goes on in you. Can you imagine the guilt and shame that is rising in Peter's chest at this point. And recall, there's six other people sitting around this fire. His best friends in the world are sitting there listening to this. This is not a private conversation. This is public within their sphere, right? And so, Jesus once again goes to work because he's not done with Peter. So look at verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me. And then this is important, catch this. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, feed my sheep. Question, answer, commission. Question, answer, commission. Question, answer, commission. Now, at this point, I wonder um, what the other disciples were doing. They're probably like, oh. <laughs> you know, like, wonder how fidgety they got if they, they're like raising eyebrows, looking at each other. Because I don't think awkward cuts it. Like, this would have been a tough scene to be in. It almost seems a bit cruel. Like, what in the world is Jesus up to? Is he shaming Peter? What has Jesus just done? This is so good. Jesus has just engaged in merciful heart surgery. He is loving Peter. He is extracting the shame out of Peter's soul. So notice again, it's on the third ask, it says that Peter was grieved. He was grieved because Jesus asked the third time. Now this isn't just because it's a repetition and he was getting bored of the conversation. This is because this is a callback Peter's grieving because he's smelling charcoal smoke. Peter's grieving because in his head is still ringing the sound of the rooster crowing. Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times. And there's a lot of talk if you go through the Greek here about there's different words, um, agape and phileo, and like there's just this deep interplay. Maybe there's something to that, but I think a lot of that conversation misses the point. Jesus is drawing Peter out and saying, one, two, three, in the aroma of charcoal smoke, going, Peter, I know. 
And then Peter knows that he knows, right? Because he says, Lord, you know everything. You know what I've done. You see through me like glass. So this is a callback. Jesus is reversing Peter's fall. He's healing his shame. He's he's set the scene to orchestrate a loving heart surgery. And so let's go back to John chapter 18 um, so we can see the wonderful force of this. So here's what's going on. In chapter 18, Jesus has been uh, arrested. Peter and John have stealthily followed Jesus, which shows they're brave, right? They're, They're courageous. They're following him. And they've not yet given up on this Jesus. And so in John 18, verses 15, um, on to 18, here's, here's how the story goes. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That's John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, is John, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So now they're in the courtyard, right? The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you, you look familiar, right? You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Moment of decision, What do you do? What had Peter just done in the Garden of Gethsemane? What was he swinging around with bravado? He chopped a dude's ear off. Peter's in trouble. If they find out he's there, he's arrested as well, right? Who knows what's going to happen to him? So what does he say? I am not. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. You see it, right? A charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them, standing and warming himself there by the charcoal fire. It's an unusual word for scripture. And here it is in both stories. John is saying, this is what Jesus is doing. He's setting the stage. He's creating this lesson so that Peter knows viscerally deep in his bones that Jesus loves him. He knows everything that he's done, yet he loves him with a love that our finite brains cannot imagine, right? So there in the high priest's courtyard with the smell of fire, charcoal smoke in the air, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says, when he denied him the third time, Jesus, who's there in the courtyard, turns and looks at him, and they lock eyes. The weight of that look, Peter's soul can't bear it. He breaks in pieces. And it says, with bitterness, he ran and wept. Jesus saw him in that moment of denial. He's fallen, right? Guys, he's fallen hard. He's forsaken Jesus big time, betrayed him. How in the world did Peter become who he hated? Judas, right? Peter became a Judas. And he was ticked at Judas, but he had become just like him. So now fast forward with me, right? Fast forward back to our story. Here again, in the atmosphere, right? On that beach is the smell of charcoal smoke surrounded by witnesses, one of them being John who was at the previous scene and Jesus is locking eyes with him. The whole thing is adding up. It is coming back. He is being triggered to remember what had happened. So again, what is Jesus doing? 
These three questions are the scalpel of a loving heart surgeon. Jesus is cutting the cancer of shame out of the soul of Peter. Look, Jesus loves Peter too much to allow for some kind of shallow healing. Jesus loves Peter too much to pretend like what happened didn't happen. Jesus loves Peter too much not to address the wound that had opened into his soul. He loves him too much not to pull out the shrapnel of sin because if he doesn't deal with it, that will get in the way of their relationship and Peter's relationship with everyone else and hurt will spiral into the whole community. Jesus loved Peter too much not to press in and do a deep healing work. So Jesus says to him, essentially, Peter, this wound of guilt and shame in you must be dealt with. And I will not pretend, like I'm not going to pretend like what happened didn't happen. But here's the deal, like I am not going to let this keep us apart. We're going to go forward together. I love you. You're mine. You always will be mine. I'm not done with you yet, Peter. So Jesus has just confronted Peter's sin and shown Peter his merciful and gracious love. So friends, this is what I would love for us to take deep into our our being this morning. Jesus loves us too much to leave our heart's wounds unaddressed. Jesus loves you too much to leave that deep stuff that is keeping you up at night, that is, that is causing you to act out in, in anger and frustration towards your, your wife or your kids or your husband. He, he loves you too much to leave whatever that splinter in your soul is that has you distracting yourself with social media or, or Netflix or something else because you can't bear to deal with what's inside. He loves you too much to leave that in place. So he wants to extract it. He wants to cut that cancer out. He wants to heal you. And so... God lovingly orchestrates events in our lives to draw attention to and tend to our wounds. And that's exactly what he does in this scene. He orchestrates a scene to tend to the wound of Peter, to heal him, to heal the community, and to provide healing to us some 2,000 years later. So good. He is our healer, and he is at, at work. So this is beautiful to see. Jesus meets us amidst the smell of charcoal smoke, right? Jesus turns the fire of Peter's failure into a holy fire of fellowship and breakfast with his creator. That smoke that was toxic now has the fragrance of eternal life. So cool. He turns our failures into victories of grace, right? And he's telling Peter, Peter, you're not excluded from feeding my sheep. You're not excluded from the calling that I have given you because you fell hard on your face. You are brought in. You will be a compassionate leader because you are now experiencing profound grace. See, Peter's weakness and and his failure becomes a means, becomes an avenue of God's grace. And and man, I, I believe a number of us need to hear this today. I mean, it's a miracle some of us are here because we've been avoiding reading our scripture or praying because we know what we've done and we think Jesus isn't all that happy with us and doesn't want anything to do with us right now. We think that he's avoiding us, but the reality is grace chases. Grace chases, he engages. 
mercy and love rehabilitates, comes charging at you. He's a great hunter, right? He doesn't pretend that our past hasn't happened. He deals with it and he heals it. And, and this is the cool thing. Like, he will show you his love at the very place of your greatest failure. He will show you his greatest love at the place of your greatest failure, right? The place of darkest failure becomes that place of, of the shining light of grace and mercy. And so I wonder, guys, where, where do you smell charcoal? Like, where do you smell charcoal in your life? What smoke of failure keeps finding you no matter what you do? What smoke of failure keeps finding you? Because that question I'm sure arises, does Jesus really love me after what I've done? Is there a place for me in his kingdom? Is there a place for me in, in this church family? Where do you smell charcoal? Where do you need to see that that first fire, right, that fire of betrayal doesn't define you? Where do you need to see that that first fire doesn't define you, that your past failure isn't your future destiny? Where do you need to see it's the second fire that defines you? It's the fire of grace where Jesus feeds you fish and bread and says you're his and he won't let you go. That you're a child of the Father, that he delights in you. Where do you need to see that by the grace of Christ, he has transformed the toxic fumes from that first fire into the healing smoke of a sweet breakfast on a beach with Jesus. Some of us need to sit down today and realize we need to have breakfast with Jesus to restore us, to commission us to a life of flourishing. And so again, many of us keep smelling this charcoal smoke, right? Some failure haunts you. I'm sure some of you know right away what it is. Maybe you've never told anyone. Some smoke rises up in you. And it, it usually happens at like some random or inconvenient time, right? And it just rises. And you're like, now? And it takes everything within you to stay in that conversation and not deal with the guilt and the shame that is rising in you, right? And, it, and what does it do? It shuts you down. It blunts your, your love for other people. It stunts your spiritual growth, Right? You guys know I smell charcoal, charcoal all the time. Like, I smell charcoal. Man, I smell charcoal at the dinner table all the time. Something about the dinner table. After a long day and after, like, grumping at my kids, when, when we should be feasting and it should be joyful, but it's like they're freaking out and they're complaining about every food and... My wife's a short order cook to try to get all the right food, and all the kids are complaining, and, and, and I smell charcoal at the dinner table all the time, and be like, I failed again to be a gracious and loving father. And I, I smell charcoal at this church all the time. There's, there's these wisps of smoke that come back, and names come back of people I have failed that were on this team. And I look back and go, I abdicated responsibility just to love them well. And since I'm on it, I, I smell smoke almost every Monday. It's like the pastor's day to smell charcoal, you know? Brian, Joe, Joe, you know what I mean? Monday hits and you're like, what did I say in the pulpit yesterday? 
what should I have said that I didn't because I was a coward? How many times did I stumble over myself and look like an idiot and then feel like an idiot for thinking about me looking like an idiot because it's not about me, it's about Jesus? Smell charcoal all the time. Where do you smell it? Everywhere. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> And so what we need to do is remember that Jesus has transformed that first fire into the second fire. That that charcoal smoke has gone from toxic to healing. And Satan, over and over and over and over and over again, wants to make you feel like a failure because you have failed in the past. He wants to make you feel like a son that's not delighted in or a daughter that's not delighted in because you fell on your face. And he's saying, Jesus wants nothing to do with you. And Jesus says, eat breakfast with me. Love has chased you, and grace is rehabilitating you. And so maybe you betrayed Jesus by betraying your spouse. Some infidelity, external, physically, internal, pornographically. Some breach of trust has shattered your intimacy. The grace of Jesus is chasing you. His mercy is rehabilitating you. Maybe you have broken trust with a friend, a family member. Maybe you have abused the power that God has given you and you manipulated and hurt other people to get what you want because they stood in your way, you hurt them. You didn't give a rip about them, right? Maybe you've misused funds. Maybe you have been shackled by some addiction. Maybe you've abdicated your responsibilities. Maybe you've been absent to care for people. Maybe you are derelict in your duties, distracted and selfish. I don't know. Jesus is making you breakfast. Grace chases, love rehabilitates. So here's the deal. When you smell that charcoal, don't run. Lean in. His love and his grace is seen as he meets us in that dark need. Now, we have to uh, deal with one other portion here in, in this passage to really bring this thing down into the deepest layers of our being. So look at verses 18 and 19. This is how Jesus wraps up this conversation. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but here's what's coming. When you're old, your hands, they're going to be stretched out. Another is going to dress you, and they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, again, he calls Peter, follow me. Follow me. The invitation's still open. Doors open with Jesus. Now, after Jesus recommissions Peter, he goes on to say this odd bit about hands stretched out, being dressed up and carried around. What's going on? Well, in short, he's saying, look, Peter, you used to be able to do what you want, but you're going to follow me, and there's going to be some consequences. And here's what's coming. Here's, here's the prophetic word of the Lord. You will have your hands stretched out. You're going to be crucified, Peter. They are going to dress you up and manhandle you and force you around and take you to where you don't want to go because you have followed me. Peter was crucified upside down many years later. His future faithfulness would bring about persecution and suffering. Now, this is weird encouragement, Jesus. Like you're trying to encourage this dude and you're like, oh, by the way, you're going to die on a cross. But can I, can I tell you like how good Jesus is? He knows exactly what Peter needs to hear. What was Peter's failure? What had Peter just done in the denials? When the pressure was on, when, when the promise of, of pain and suffering was going to come to him because he affiliated with Jesus, what did he do? 
He bailed. This is incredibly strange counterintuitive encouragement. Jesus says, you will go to a cross for me. The pressure is going to come and you are not going to bail, my child. You will stick it out and you will hold strong and you will die and it will show forth the glory of God. And to a man like Peter, he needed to hear that. He knows what we need to hear. He knows you. With that, he calls Peter again, follow me. Follow me, follow me into life. Follow me into freedom. And I, perfect timing, God's timing is awesome. I'm, I'm so excited that I get to preach this on the 4th of July weekend. Freedom, 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 chance for freedom. I'm so thankful for our nation, I'm so thankful for the gifts. And we so often are um, entitled and don't recognize the gifts that we have. So it's good to celebrate. But we have the ultimate freedom that everyone is clamoring for in Christ. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are free to be who we are created to be, right? Free from shame, free from guilt. Follow me into this life of freedom, Peter. Follow me in this life of freedom. And some of us today need to rehear the call to follow him. Because here's the deal. You said, yes, I will follow you. And now you're on the opposite side of a ton of failures, a ton of falling on your face, a ton of disappointments after following Jesus. And you wonder if he still wants you. You may have heard him call you years ago, right? But you've taken some falls. And and here you are. You're nursing old wounds rather than feeding his sheep. And you can't see to love others well. Because we're all clouded up by the wounds that we're licking. So maybe, maybe self-pity is robbing you of joy and short-circuiting your love for others. Maybe shame is keeping you in hiding rather than healing in community. And maybe trauma is keeping you locked in cycles of anxiety and cycles of, of pain. But here again today, Jesus is calling you and he's saying, follow me. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not going to be. Follow me. Follow me. He loves you too much. This Jesus, he loves us too much to leave our wounds unaddressed. And this is why God lovingly orchestrates events to draw attention to and to tend to our wounds. This is the cross. The cross is this writ large, drawing attention to the fact that we are a wounded, a wounded people. We are broken in our sin and need help. And he will tend to it by dying, right? By going to that cross, by showing us the depths of his forgiveness and the height of his love. And he will turn our weaknesses into avenues of his grace and ministry. And so he orchestrates things. From the big level of the cross to the small things where you have a conversation with somebody who says, May, have you, maybe, maybe have you thought of counseling? And you're like, no, that's, like, that's something only broken people do. And you're like, yeah, that's all of us. And may, maybe you need to talk with some people about what happened in your past so Jesus can work through that process and set you free. Or maybe he orchestrates a, um, a connection in a calm group. And there's a conversation that happens between you and a new member and it does something to you. The the Spirit's pointing something out because he wants to do a deep healing work in you. Or maybe some suffering comes in your life that you did not expect and it sideswiped you and the Lord says, I'm gonna use this for your eternal healing because you're not right with me. Right? 
he orchestrates these events that we might see him. So, you know, I can't help but to wonder, for the rest of Peter's life, what he thought when he smelled charcoal, you know? I have a feeling that when he first smelled charcoal, the reflex was that there was the haunt of that failure that, that rose pretty quickly, that he remembered being around that first, that first fire. But I like to imagine that that changed pretty quickly, and that smell of failure quickly became a smell of victory and success, and he stood taller and said, I am a trophy of God's grace. I can't help but to imagine that when Peter smelled charcoal smoke, until that day he himself was crucified for being faithful to Jesus, that he would remember that. I'm a trophy of God's grace. And my failures, my cracks can be used to show forth his light to this world. And so here's my encouragement to you. When you smell that charcoal from some unholy fire, when it finds you, don't avoid it. Don't suppress it. Don't deny it. Lean into it. Leverage it. Lift it up as an offering of praise and know that good has overcome evil. So my friends, please know that as long as there is breath in your lungs, it is never too late to have breakfast with Jesus. Father, you are so good. Lord Jesus, we love you. Would you help us to love you more? Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of the loveliness of Christ on our hearts right now. Would you transform our imaginations to see the beauty of Christ as our Lord and Savior? And would it just warm our hearts to know that the King of all creation who conquered death, one of the first things he did was humbly make breakfast for someone who had betrayed them. And Father, in a, in a culture that just wants to cancel and take offense, would we be like Jesus? Would we seek to engage and offer forgiveness and chase after reconciliation? Lord, we love you. We thank you that we now get to have a meal with you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.